Welcome to the Cleaning Professionals Podcast. We are a show dedicated to the cleaning industry. And now, our hosts, Patrick and Seth. All right, everybody, welcome back to the podcast. Patrick, who are we interviewing today? Today, we are interviewing my dad, Eddie Von Cannon. Um, we're excited. This is our second interview we've done. We just did one uh, with your dad and my dad talking about their experience together as cleaners Mm -hmm. Um, but today we want to just do um, specifically an interview with Eddie uh, to talk about kind of how we got started and we really want to dive deep into the rug side of things why uh, for those of you don't know our company's kind of got two separate uh, wings I guess you could say one is residential commercial carpet and tile and grout and upholstery and that whole thing that like a lot of people do but then we've got uh, a separate part of the business is all about rug washing and rug cleaning and we've got the facility we're in today if you're sitting here and you're watching today um, this is our facility located in Ashboro. we wash a lot of rugs here um, and yeah it's just a little bit about how he got to where he was at today so without further ado Eddie tell us a little bit about yourself just start out with your name and um, your business and uh, a little bit about how you got started. All right. Uh, thank you for having me. Uh, Eddie Von Cannon, um, Businesses Able Carpet and Rug Cleaning in Asheboro, North Carolina. Uh, actually got started in 1980. Um, a lot of different moving parts to the business as to how I got started, but originally I was working at George Pacific Second Shift. And there I met a gentleman named Furman Green, who is uh, Todd Green, who's a member of the group, his dad. And he, Furman kind of was an inspiration to me and I began to share with him how I wanted to be in the, the cleaning business and he encouraged me and even gave me some, some ideas and some work. And along by that time, I had a cousin, his name is Johnny Lamb. <clears throat> he had started what uh, a cleaning company and it was actually called Able Cleaning Service. And he knew that I was working second shift. So he called me and said, hey, how about part-time work? You need some extra money. I said, yeah, doing what? And he said, mainly cleaning carpet. So I would work for him a couple of days a week just doing cleaning carpet and upholstery. And then it was from there that I got the bug. Mm -hmm. I just thought, wow, this is something that I really want to do. I loved it. And so I approached him in 1982 and asked him, would he sell me his business? And and he was just beginning his uh, career path as a as a, a consultant actually to business to the retail side sector businesses. And um, so he sold it to me, and from there uh, we just went through a lot of different changes. You know, a lot of different things we did. But that that was when in 1982 is when I actually owned it myself. We changed the name of it from Able Cleaning Service to Able Carpet Cleaning. Okay. So that was 1982. Wow. And how old were you then? Uh, 23. 23, okay. So you pretty young. Yeah, very okay. young. Yeah. Now, why was it, why did you feel, because at the time you were you were working at Georgia Pacific, like you said, so whenever you decided, and this, so it was a few years later, right? So you actually owned the business, and then you continued to do it part-time, correct? Right, I did, Fourth. up until 1984. So in 1984, that was the year where you said, I'm making the, the full time that's when you made the jump. I made the plunge, yep. Okay. Yeah, what now what what was your reason behind that, your biggest reason that where you said, well, I want to do this? I think there were two reasons. One, I was looking at my job at George Pacific 
I want. I was so tired of being a, a nighttime person, second shift person, uh, and I saw no way to be on first shift. Looking at how their order was that you got a first shift job there, there, I could have worked there twenty more years and still been on second shift. Oh well. Uh, and so I didn't. I didn't like the idea of that. Secondly, I think more importantly, I really believed that I was supposed to be in the cleaning business. I believed it with all my being, hmm. and I thought, you know, okay. Uh, we got to take the plane sometime, so we got. A, I got a. Uh, of course, I cashed out my stock, and and all the money I had in in George Pacific, and used part of that to help get started in the business, and had a little bit of cushion, you know, so things didn't go too well. Uh, I could have used some of that money, but we we instantly uh, picked up business. I mean, we picked up janitorial business very very quickly. We got up to seventeen. I think seventeen accounts we had. Plus, I was cleaning carpet, cleaning windows, um, and cleaning anything you cleaning could clean. Anything that could be cleaned. Right? Anything Actually, to make money. Anything to make money. Yeah. And window cleaning was obviously the most profitable thing in the world. It was still it? is. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It still I mean, is. It's very. I mean, there's no overhead. Just steal the water, rubbing alcohol and, and white vinegar, and you're in the cleaning business. Well, or in the window cleaning business. Yeah. A little bit, a little bit more than that, but. Uh, and there are guys out there making a thousand dollars a day cleaning windows right now at seventy five percent profit. Yeah. So. Yeah. You did a little bit of everything. What were some of the the hardest things early on when you look back? What were some of the the early struggles that you had? Well, just the pressure. I mean, the pressure to provide for a young family. You know, we had at the time I left George Pacific, I had two children, young children. Patrick came along in eighty six. So there's a lot of pressure there. I mean, and you, uh, and and I think the other thing was I did not, I didn't have a business degree. I didn't have that background in education like so many young people do today. They they come out out of college and they're prepared and they're equipped to to do any number of businesses. And me, all I knew was hard work. I mean, mm-hmm. my first job was uh, my dad waking me out of the bed when I was seven years old and saying, you know, I wasn't gonna lay around all day in the summertime. Yeah, and he went and got the lawnmower and cranked it up and said, "Here's how you're gonna do it." And when you get through with that, weed the garden and hoe the garden. And so I did have a very strong work ethic, right? And yeah, a strong, good. strong, you know, desire to to succeed. But I didn't have the formal education in business. That and that's something I kind of want to touch on, which I think is really I see a lot, and this is that's still true today of a lot of carpet cleaners. When you look around the business and you see guys that get into the business, one common thing that you see, and I think Seth sees it a lot too with people in a lot of these groups and stuff, is they will start a business without any real. I mean, they they've got even if they know how to clean or and they're willing to work and they got a work ethic. Like you said, the business side of things, like sometimes the, they'll, they'll start getting in and next thing you know, it's kind of, I don't want to use the word, I don't want to say spiraling out of control, but it gets going pretty fast and they don't really know how to manage. And, you mm-hmm. know, so that's a good point, I think, for a lot of people is like, okay, you know, I got all this business, but then it's like, well, how do you, there's a lot of things that come along with that yeah. that you got to know. You yeah, know? all this money coming in and then they, yeah. Well, you know. in, in 1986, if you want to go that far, you know, with three small kids at home, and a guy that doesn't come from a business degree but knows how to work hard, uh, I'm not looking at profit and loss and figures. Yeah, I'm looking exactly, at yeah. what I have to do today to pay, <laughs> to pay your bills. Pay your bills, yeah. Pay the bills. So uh, I remember the first time someone asked me if, if we could do construction cleanup. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah. 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 <laughs> we'll take it for sure. Didn't know a thing about it. <laughs> yeah. 
but I took the contract and we did it for years. I mean, really? it was good money. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But we were doing, as I said, we were doing everything else. We were doing janitorial stripping and waxing, window cleaning, carpet cleaning. I mean, we, we, we were known for a little bit of everything for a while. Yeah. So how long did it take you uh, from when you started your business to where you uh, you felt like you were starting to figure it out, the, the finances, how everything meshed together to make it a successful business? I would probably say that was, I mean, but the first eight or nine years, it was all about just getting business, getting business, getting right. the business, getting the business to come through the door. And it was probably in the in the early '90s before I really realized there was more to it than just the work. Yeah, you know, you had to figure out your price points, and you had to make X amount of dollars per hour, and you had to know what your costs were. But I'd like to um, give a plug in right now for the IICRC, which is I know a lot of people don't see the necessity of that, but when I got involved with the IICRC and Mid South Professional Cleaners Association, that those two things helped me to see things differently because I was around uh, incredibly successful people and within Mid-South in the ICRC you have everybody from rug washers to you, you have restoration guys, you have rug wa- I mean carpet cleaners only, you have a lot of it, a lot of big companies. Mm-hmm. Kind of opens your eyes up opens to Opens your eyes other, to another yeah. side of the business. All right. And just that's that's when our world really began to change. I think you started seeing the potential in other things. Started seeing the potential that that could be, and just doing one or two things very well. Yeah. Instead yeah. of doing all those things. Yeah. So what? When would you say you kind of hit your stride? And and I know you eventually moved out of, of doing like you like you were just saying doing so many things and janitorial and stripping and waxing and windows and construction club whatever it took to being able to kind of transition and I don't want to say necessarily pick and choose your work but you started to be able to be a little more selective probably and you started to be able to narrow down your fields like uh, tell us a little bit about what aided you in being able to to do that well I think the business, you know, we just, as you know, again, if this is from a different perspective, because we didn't sit down with a group of business planners and plan this business out. We just kind of launched ourselves into it. And so we had to go through the process of doing all these different things to figure out what we really wanted to do, mm-hmm. what we were comfortable with and what we could do well. And that was probably 19. And because one of the parts, one of the things we're leaving out here is we had a restoration segment to our business too. For many, many years, we did smoke and fire, water damage. So we had to transition through that to to get to to, to the point of knowing we just wanted to be carpet cleaners and rug cleaners. And within carpet cleaning, there was tile and grout, there was upholstery cleaning. Yeah. But. Um, Kind of leaving a little bit out, of course, you haven't asked me that question yet. How do we get in the rug business? But I'll wait till you ask me that question. <laughs> yeah, it's okay. coming. Yes, yeah, it's definitely coming. Okay. That was 1996, 7, I would say, if you want to time Yeah, it. well, let's go ahead. I mean, we'll, we'll jump right into that. So, it, and that was my next question. So, that's perfect timing. So, at what point did, did you just transition into rugs? Tell us a little bit, like, about what year and why, who introduced you to it? What made you see the potential in it, um, and why you decided, what, what got you interested in going that route? Well, uh, I want to go back a few years uh, to 1987, so that's when really, 
uh, that's what I was saying I was leaving out. In 1987, I went to my first uh, IICRC um, convention. Uh, and also, I went to my first Mid-South Professional Cleaners event. Now, is Mid-South, are they still around? They are. They are. Okay. Yeah. 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 I, I highly, highly recommend that you guys He's been telling me I need to get, always uh, like, you need to get Mid-South. You, know, you, you need, need to be, to be a part South. of Mid-South. I mean, right now, truth and I'm looking at the end of looking at the end of my career mm-hmm. you know it's not so much a thing for me now <clears throat> but you guys really would you would greatly benefit from being admin South professional cleaners okay so I'm at the meeting in 1987 and and everybody's talking and you're meeting all these really successful people and I look over against the wall and there's a guy standing there propped against the wall and I noticed that he's got uh, uh, a uh, stir stick in his mouth doing this with a stir stick like this. Mm-hmm. And I thought, there's a guy standing over by himself, but he looks like he's smoking, but he's not. He's got a stir stick in his mouth. So I walk over to him and introduce myself to him, and I notice he has a pack of cigarettes in his pocket that he's dumped out, and he's got the pack full of stir sticks cut off to be like cigarettes. <laughs> wow. Patrick's heard this story before. Uh-huh. But he had just entered into the process of quitting smoking, and that's how he was doing okay. it. Okay. Okay. I got you. So I introduced myself to him, and his name was Harold Thompson. Thompson's Cleaners in Pinehurst are still there, Harold Lane. Harold's got to be 74 this year, probably, 73, 74. But I asked him what he did for a living, and he, he said rug cleaning. And you got to realize in 1987 in Randolph County, I don't think there was a rug. Yeah. I mean, yeah. little mats. Yeah. <laughs> I honestly didn't know. I don't think I knew what a rug was. And so I said to Harold, I said, carpet cleaning. He said, yeah, well, we do carpet, but we clean rugs. I said, do you mind if I come see what you're even talking about? This is 1987. So he said, I don't mind. So I drove down to Pinehurst, went to Hannah Lane's house, and he had a three-bay garage on his house, and that's where he did his rug cleaning. Hmm. And so it was really in 1987 when I was smitten by that concept. But it took many years later because I don't think I saw the potential yeah. of it in 1987. So eventually through the early 90s that kind of light bulb came on and we just started going around telling everybody, all of our customers when we were cleaning carpet, that we cleaned rugs. And we were going in a lot of houses that had Karastan rugs and some Oriental rugs and area rugs. And so uh, along about that time I thought, well I don't know anything about cleaning rugs and so I just somebody told me about Scotty's in Eden um, which is right now in the state of North Carolina is the oldest operating rug wash plant in the state right now so uh, I just got in my car or my van and I drove up there walked in the door didn't know any of the guys walked in introduced myself and I, that's where I met Mr. Cusell Scotty Scott, and that's where the name Scotty's come from. His last name's, you know, Scott is, Cusell was his first name, but everybody called him Scotty. Uh-huh. A wonderful gentleman who just passed away this year. But um, I walked in and told him what I wanted to do, and I didn't know anything about rug washing, so I was going to bring him my rugs. So for many years the honest truth is guys i never touched a rug except to pick it up and take it back to the customer yeah i mean scotty's washed every single rug that i picked up and uh and and that's 
along about that time is when I began to see the potential, what, what really could be made in it. So long. the short of the story is long about 1994, 5, 19, 1996, I'm going to say it is, I was already taking Scotty probably 600 drugs a year. Wow. And so I approached him and I said, well, you guys come pick my rugs up. I mean, I, I'm going to Eden three days a week and trying to run a carpet cleaning business. So I said, I said, Scotty, I just, you know, you, you, you're already picking up in high point and will you pick my rugs up for me too? I mean, 600 rugs a year, surely you'll pick my rugs up. Yeah. And he declined. And I said, uh, well, Scotty, if you're not going to pick my rugs up, I guess I'm just going to have to uh, do it myself. And he looked at me, and this goes to the other point that we were talking about earlier in a different podcast. He looked at me, and I really know what he's going to say. He looked at me, and he said, well, I guess I'm just going to have to help you. <laughs> well, I was nice. surprised. Yeah. I was shocked. Yeah. And so uh, I got to mention that Bobby, his son-in-law, was actually on the wash floor at the time and actually running the wash operation and their carpet cleaning operation. And uh, Scotty's passed last year, but Bobby, to this day, we're tight. We're close as we can be. Yeah. He'd do anything in the world for me, and I'd do anything in the world for him. Um, he's the same age I am. He's looking at trying to work his way out of the business. But they, uh, every time I would take a rug up there, Bobby would take me over and said, this is how we do this, and this is how we do this. This is what we did. They had no secrets. They didn't care. He was a... Um, just a, a generous person and gladly showed me everything that was going on. So that's one uh, advantage that I had. I had somebody that was already in the business that would let me just stand there and watch a, a true rug washer and watch what they were doing. Um, second thing that happened was along about 1997, I picked up a, a, a disaster restoration company's rug cleaning business. And if you think about this, they were bringing me smoke rugs, wet rugs, dirty rugs with the qualifier that, well, if you can't clean it, the insurance company's just going to replace it. Oh, that's good. <laughs> so that yeah. was like, whoa. I see. So I, I don't have, think you'd ever really told me that. I mean, I knew, I knew, yeah. and it was after disaster. I mean, we'll after just say, disaster, but uh, I mean, and I remember that well as a kid. But, like, I remember going with you and stuff to pick them up on the jobs and all that. But, like, I don't think you'd ever really told me that part. So that's really cool. So essentially what you're saying is, is, like, you had rugs that if you messed up, well, it didn't we, matter. And I don't really, that's we, a good deal. We yeah. moved in our first real place in 1996. And, um, and we got that account that year. And, you know, I had, you know... Fifty, sixty thousand dollars a year worth of rug washing business that I couldn't damage. Right, so I, I could. I, I was able to take rugs and wash them at really no risk to myself because their deal to me was, hey, if you can't wash it, you know, and don't worry about damaging it because the insurance company will just replace it and we'll just tell them that it was damaged by smoke and fire. Wow, that's awesome. So I, I was very blessed in the area that I had those opportunities right in front of me to give it to me. Mm -hmm. And just take a minute about and, and focus on, you guys talk about this a lot, but relationships. You, you remember Donnie Holder Jr., mm -hmm. right? Well, Donnie Holder Jr. still works for After Disaster, and uh, I don't do their business anymore, but Donnie and I are very close. You know, I call him, uh, Donnie lost his dad last two years ago, Donnie Sr. 
you know, I went to, I called him and talked to him, went to the service, and and uh, Donnie was just a, he's just a dear friend, and that, and you know, that's another example of making relationships in this industry. Uh, but at one time we were kind of competitors because we had a restoration business, yeah. you know, and he knew that, mm. but he didn't really care, you know. That we were we were serving a need for them, but we still have the relationship even after all these years. That's good. So you had, I mean, that was like a great opportunity. So you have, number one, you had a huge account there mm-hmm. of rugs, especially for somebody just starting out in it. And like you said, there wasn't the pressure of going to somebody's house and picking up an heirloom rug and, you know, being worried if you don't do something right. So so that's pretty that's pretty awesome. So how long did that go on with After Disaster where, where you had that kind of relationship? We, we had their business for probably five years, I would say. And then they just, for... They stopped bringing me rugs, so I called Donnie one day and I said, "Donnie, what's up?" Well, and it, the the guy that owned it, he thought I was charging too much money, and, and uh, his name's Lee King. Lee's a great guy. I have a lot of respect for Lee, but you know he, you know he ran a big business and he was under a lot of pressure to manage the numbers, and mm-hmm. he felt like he could get it done less somewhere else, and I respect that, and that's fine, and he did, and uh, no no hard feelings. That's just a decision yeah. they had to make. It's part of business. It's part it of is. business. Yeah. So kind of what direction did you go then when you, you started kind of, you know, I guess what I'm saying is at some point you, you just, you realized you had to go after the residential sector of rugs, right? We did. We did. And that, that, that just the way that we actually got that started is we told everything that lived and breathed and moved that we were rug washers. That's good. I mean, everybody. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, we would walk down streets and go into hardware stores and the furniture stores. We would walk into soda shops at anybody, insurance companies. You know, we, we wash rugs. We wash rugs. This yeah. is what we do. And we just we just incessantly talked it, you know, and promoted it. We aggressively promoted it. We created a separate brochure that talked about what rug washing was versus, you know, surface cleaning. The difference between, because you can surface clean and wash. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. what the difference between full submersion washing was and surface cleaning. Um, and we just eventually got knowledgeable enough in the craft where we had very few issues. Yeah. And going back to what you were saying a second ago, this is kind of, you see so many guys complaining all the time that they don't have any business, but none of them are doing what you were doing, going out there, hitting the streets, knocking on doors. You said everybody you came across that could breathe, you would tell them you did rugs. Right. And, uh, I mean, that's pretty good advice for a lot of these guys. You know, one of the shows that I like to watch with the wife is Shark Tank. You ever watch it? Yeah, yeah. we do too. And it's funny, these guys will come on there and they'll say, well, what's your sales? And say, well, we're, we're really struggling right now. So, okay, what are you doing? Well, we're not really doing anything. Yeah. So, well, that's why you don't have any that's sales. That's why you don't have sales. Yeah, I'm sorry. I just wanted to point that out. Yeah, Continue no, it, on. It is. And that's kind of what we did. And, and then it was after we actually got the business kind of established, it was after that that we began to travel and go to different rug plants. Um, and, and different people who were doing rugs in different schools that were just solely for rugs. Yeah. And so that that actually came after we were already in the business. So you'd think you'd do that first, but we didn't. <laughs> we did it the other way around. Now, what were you going there for? Did just to get some uh, tips, see how they did things? To learn. Yeah. To, to learn, to learn, to learn, to grow. I mean, uh, sometime later this year, I'm going out to Cam Melville's place in, in Omaha, at Omaha Rug Cleaners. And as long as I've been in the business... You know, I know I'll learn something. I yeah. guarantee you, I'll learn. Uh, Cam's not been in as long as I have, but he's sharp and 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 
Nate Coots and Paul Lucas and all those guys are brilliant. And so I'm going to go out there and learn something. So did y'all hear that listening audience? <laughs> How many years have you been doing rugs? Uh, actually, 30, almost 30 solely rugs. Yeah. 30, 30 some years, and he's still still learning. He's still learning. You yeah. don't know it all. No, every day. <laughs> I mean, it's funny because you know you just see with these it's car, we'll just call them carpet cleaners, but you see with these cleaners that. I mean, so many of them. They and this is what I think we talked about in the in the one of the first episodes yeah. that, that we did is like the these guys. Episode. Yeah, yeah, the hater episode. <laughs> these guys, you see them on social media, and it's like they learn a little something about carpet cleaning. They have a little bit of success, and then then it's like, oh, we got the formula, we got yeah. it, we figured it out. We know exactly. What, you know, you can't tell them anything. No, I mean, yeah. and it's like so many people just shut it down once they, once guys have a little bit of success, whatever successful is to them, whatever that number is they hit, or you know, it, if it's having one truck or three truck, whatever it is, and they they figure out the mold and they're done. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And that's that's what I think a lot of people need to have their thinking challenged on is like hey don't be afraid to continue to grow yeah. and to continue to learn so that's really yeah. cool yeah that's the model of our podcast that we always forget to say yeah. never stop never learning, stop learning. Yeah. we don't say yeah. that yeah i think i think i think it's supposed to be my job yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no. but uh so tell us a little bit and this is going back because i like to think back when i was a kid because these are funny memories so we lived at on uri street nashville a little like a thousand square foot house brick mm-hmm. ranch i mean it was tiny like, i remember the outside of it i don't think I ever five of us i mean this house uh, was small one bath well one full bathroom and a half bath and and we had a carport and i remember as a kid you started doing rugs at the house yes oh yeah you're doing them in the carport right we had a we didn't have a garage we had a carport just I, open on all sides in a concrete slab the, the, that's the first rug i ever washed was actually in my carport on the street. yeah yeah, the very first rug. Very I ever nice. Watched. And tell us the story because as a kid, I had a trampoline. I jumped on it all the time. I mean, this was like in the nineties, uh, probably mid or early mid nineties. So it was probably I, you said ninety six. That year stands out in my mind for some reason for rugs because it just seems like I remember rugs being around a lot then. But I remember a lot of times I'd come home and there was rugs on uh, drying on the trampoline. Yeah, so we had, we had we, Renee and I, my wife Renee, and I had washed this big Indian rug in the carport that day and, mm-hmm. and, and extracted it with the truck mount so it was still quite heavy. And it had been a gorgeous afternoon in the summertime, uh, and we had that big Indian rug laying on the trampoline. So about 8.15 that night, uh, I said, I said, well, I don't think there's no bad weather coming. It, it sure will get dew on it, but it'll dry out the next day. Yeah. You see how rudimentary my thing <laughs> Yeah, back then. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So the funny story is that Ernan and I were laying in the bed about 3 o'clock that morning, and the thunderstorm comes up. And, uh, uh, and I just, I'm laying in the bed, sound asleep, and boom, you know. <laughs> and I wake up, and I said, Ernan, I said, it's thundering all. <gasps> <laughs> so we run out there I'm in my underwear <laughs> no shirt we're rolling up this great big Indian rug and dragging it in the house uh-huh. soaking wet wow. and right the time we got it in the bottom fell out wow. yeah so that's how technically that's how it was at the beginning <laughs> you gotta start somewhere that's right uh-huh. yeah. so from when whenever you moved into the downtown Asheboro location. I told Seth that, what, what was that, 90 what? 94. 94, okay. So that was a little earlier than I thought. All right, so 94, what did you, 
what was your kind of your first rug setup? What what did you do in that building that was set up for rugs? We had a uh, a fixed drying area on the left side of the building that was three poles that were permanent poles and uh, PVC or you know over some over some metal and in the wash side we had a uh, it was an old service station actually so there was a pit there uh, not a, a pit that had a lift in it but just a pit where they would wash vehicles in there and so that was my pit mm-hmm. and then it had about a Oh, about a 400 square foot slab floor in there and we had a regular water hose that we used that ran five gallons a minute and you know you could wash three rugs a day basically maybe yeah. Yeah. if you got them you, you know you could get them decently clean uh-huh. so but we did have the basics uh, so what we did not have was a, a means of dusting or getting the dry soil out we were still heavily dependent on vacuum cleaners Mm. Um, now what did you do did you just vacuum both sides pretty much well we had the old uh, Eureka sanitaires and they have a, a metal bar yeah the big round metal bar mm, like a metal beater yeah, bar they just... actually had a metal beater bar you could buy that had no brushes on it hmm. and so you inserted that in and they had a very large motor on them and they would do a decent job of beating the back of a rug I mean it would just boop, 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 and it would just yeah. Get it's not like the ones today, but you could do some you could do some decent soil removal wow. like that. So that's how we were, were doing the dry soil part of it back then. Now if you're if and I think and this is what always when I have people ask me questions about rugs, uh, this is one thing I always tell them because they I think a lot of people want to look at a certain piece of equipment or a certain uh, way of doing rugs, but really I and you correct me if I'm wrong, but I always look at it about there's a lot of different ways you can get you can get rugs clean, um, wash them, uh, in the process. But like with, with carpet cleaning, you know you you have like this guy that goes from truck mount or from portable rather to truck mount, and it's like this life changing leap, and instantly you can get carpets cleaner quicker. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, and I think that that's kind of the case with some road equipment but i think what a lot of guys miss is um, it don't matter what kind of equipment you have with rugs you have to have the knowledge first right you do and because you 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 can't just right i mean so today you know the way it is today i mean you have people buying rug equipment because well for one thing with the turkish machines it's reasonably it's they're expensive but certainly cheaper than some yeah and um you know they teach you the zen of rug washing they'll sell you a wash tub and four or five chemicals and tell you you're a rug washer mm-hmm. uh, it, that's not really how it works um, you got to get the you got to get the knowledge right. first you especially gotta, when you're washing that you know it's one thing if you're doing you know machine but when it when it really comes into your washing hand knotted rugs you yeah, got to get when the, you're dealing in the rugs that we deal in um, and this is one of the things I tell guys. I, I I mentor guys in the rug washing business now, and the thing I tell them is know your rugs, learn. You know, I I own a whole library of rug books, guys. And most guys go home and they read this, they read that, and I read rug books. <laughs> you know, and and I did for for years. And so study the rugs. And when you're trying to build a rug cleaning business, if you can't talk to your clients about their rugs. They're probably not going to give them to you. Yeah. Now, yeah. And we're not talking about tufted rugs, uh, machine woven rugs that are a dime a dozen. We're talking about 
in many cases, cherished family heirlooms that people have had in their families for you know 50 to 70 years. Yeah, because I mean, I I told you a while back. It's probably two or three months ago. I sat down and talked with you. I was thinking about getting into it, and I told Patrick I spent about spent about forty five minutes with you, and you drastically changed my mind just to all the equipment I would need, but mostly the knowledge that I would need. Right. And I was like, you know, I'm gonna put this on the back burner for later right. on, maybe. Right. You know, but right now I'm gonna focus on the carpet cleaning and hardwoods and stuff like that. Because I mean, it's just it's just so much that you can mess up, really. There is, and when we're talking about hand knotted. Right, we're not talking about the the, the least expensive machine made yeah. rugs. Uh, I mean, you can wet an olefin rug or poly rug any way you want to wet it. Right? right, what are you going to do to it? You can't hurt it. Um, you can inexpensively process a lot of those in a day. Mm-hmm. But when you're talking about the the oriental rugs and hand knotted rugs, that's a different situation. There are so many different dyes and things that creep up into that business that you really got to know those things before you just jump into it. And that's one thing that's blown me away is like some of the interactions I've had with guys that I've spoken with about, you know, rugs and he's forgot more than I'll ever know about rugs. Yeah. But, and I'll be talking to them and they're, they're talking about setting up their rug washing. You know, they want to set them up a little shop or maybe some of them have already set up a little shop or already have something that they've constructed. And, and it might be, you know, that, like he said, a rudimentary way to wash. And there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, everybody starts somewhere. Like yeah. he's talking about, you know, he started in his carport. But then you get to talking to these guys and they don't even have the basic understanding of rug construction. How to identify, you know, some, uh, synthetic versus, you know, uh, uh, yeah. natural fiber. How to identify, you know, say a, a wool rug that's machined versus a hand knotted wool rug i mean they don't have the very and i think that's something if you're out there and you're thinking about starting getting into rug washing or rug cleaning however you want to phrase it you need to you need to at least have that base knowledge down or let me give you another example okay because today's different from when i started okay uh we'll use a member of our group philip wallman i mean philip is doing a great job he's doing it the right way um because he'll tell you I don't know everything, but guess what he's done? He's, he's joined the rug room. He's asking questions. So uh, don't, don't be afraid to ask, to learn, to get with people that know what you don't know. And, 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 and Philip's doing it that way. And, and he's set up the way he's set up, but we're set up the way we're set up. But I know that he's seeking, he's wanting to learn, he's wanting to grow his business and his knowledge. You know, so he's he's doing it the way that, that it should be done. Right. Yeah, just as an example. And, yeah, you know, and I think a lot of guys, especially now that there's like turnkey rug setups, I see people all the time on Facebook and on the groups and stuff that'll invest in the rug equipment. And they, and they might know exactly what they're doing, but some of them have a very limited amount of experience in it. Um, so, but, but there is... The good thing about today is with social media, there's just a wealth of knowledge out there. Yeah, exactly. And it's like with you where yeah. you had to go travel. I had to travel. Right? You had to travel to yeah. go. You, now the guys can just pick up their yeah. phone and, like you said, rug wash room or one of the other ones or several on Facebook now, and instantly you've got yeah. people that will help you. And so there's not – what I'm saying is there's not an excuse to not be yeah. – yeah. to learn and be knowledgeable. Right. So, okay. like, there's a, uh, the kid who helps me. He's been able to take – IICRC classes for free because there's several on YouTube. Like yeah. the full two or three hours yeah. or four hours videos. And, you know, I can send the, to those until, you know, for the meantime, until he's old enough to go to the actual classes. Class. But, yeah, I mean, 
like you were saying, there's knowledge everywhere. You just got to look and search for it. So what are some, what would you say, like, what are some of the um, the biggest challenges of being in the, when you just look at, just take carpet cleaning out of the equation. Right. Just rugs. What what's what do you look at it and you say, man, like, this is a part of rug washing that I could do without? Or this is the part that makes it so hard. What would you say that is? Well, the part that makes it difficult, and this goes back to <clears throat> people who are just getting into the business, right? That this, and when we're talking about hand knotted oriental rugs, those that come from from Iran, Afghanistan, you know, uh, Tibet, India, Pakistan, and all the 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 uh, Western Russian provinces that used to be part of the Middle East, mm-hmm. Georgia, Uzbekistan, and all those areas. These are all rug weaving areas, and all the way into Turkey. Uh, the thing about it is, as it makes this challenging, is these this business of manufacturing hand knotted rugs is not regulated. Nothing about it's regulated. Zero regulation in any of the hand knotting countries. There's no government oversight <clears throat> telling them what they can and they can't do. Telling them, guys, you got rugs that that are chemically treated with chlorine bleach and sulfur before they come into this country. And if they don't do a good job and they're antiqued is what they're doing, they're dulling down the fiber, changing colors. If they don't do a thorough job of getting that out, the customer goes and buys the rug and they keep it on their floor for three years and nothing's wrong with it, right? It's beautiful, has no odor. They bring it to you, you put water in it, it changes from blue to purple. What'd you do? Hmm. What happened? Yeah. Something bad. <laughs> you reactivated the chlorine bleach is what you did because it wasn't rinsed out. Wow. And so, small example of the things that you can, and then knowing which group of rugs are more likely to do that, which ones are they? Yeah. That are more likely to do that. So, I stress this to guys new in the business, buying a machine, right, or whatever you're gonna buy doesn't make you a rug washer minus the intricate knowledge of knowing which rugs do what. Now, you can't hurt an olefin rug, hard to hurt a nylon rug, but you can mess up a hand-knotted rug and mess it up very quickly. So That expensive? They're expensive. You got to have good insurance. Uh But what a lot of guys don't know, if your insurance company wants to press it and say, well, how did you clean this rug? What did you clean it with? They're not obligated to cover you if you cleaned it outside of industry standards. Interesting. And if you used a chemical that's not approved, you're stuck. You got to buy it yourself. Hmm. Well, you know, I'm just going to not be honest with them. Well, guess what? They have a forensic, they truly do. The insurance companies have a forensics investigation division, and they can take that rug and they can clip it and run it through a spectrograph and tell you exactly what you put on it if they want to. Yeah. So, the guys are so much more into this rug washing business than you than buying a machine. Yeah. Right. How many? I know you always tell me this and it's like you tell other I've heard you tell other people this too. Like if if you really and I don't mean just surface get in like some guys get in, but when you really if you're really going to dive into washing and washing hand knotted rugs, you're you're going to buy a rug. You've told me that before. Yeah, yeah, you're going to buy rugs. You know, <laughs> I mean, you, you like, are you are well, let me give you an example. Uh Last year, we had, uh, <clears throat> yeah, and I'm not afraid to tell stories, you know, but we still don't know what happened to the rug. We had two 
uh, Persian names come in the plant the same week. Now, they weren't owned by the same person, but they were identical rugs. Uh, the date, the circuit dating on them, they were both probably 45-year-old rugs, not old. Yep. They were identical twins, right? So we washed one on the slab. You know, it turned out beautiful. We had washed it three or four times before. The second one turned purple. Wow. It turned completely purple. And guys, this is a guy I've been washing rugs now for 35 years, so I know what I'm doing. Yeah. I didn't use anything on it. Uh-huh. So, uh, which brings me around to this. You got to, in the rug washing business, you got to have a, an upline. You got to have somebody over your head that you can pick up the phone and call and say, this happened to this rug. What do you think it was? You know, I know my insurance company is going to make my client whole, but what happened to the rug? So I reached out to my friend, dear friend, actually, Mr. Robert Pettyjohn over at Pettyjohn's at Wake Forest, and I told him what happened. I reached out to Andrew, his son-in-law. I said, have you ever seen this? I mean, this rug just turned purple. Uh, I reached out to Mr. Philman Indian, who's chairman of the board of the Oriental Rug Retailers Association. He's chairman of the Board of Ethics who's a very close friend of mine, so I've got an upline. What I'm trying to tell you guys is I've got some an upline. So if anything happens, I've got people that I can reach out to. So I reached out to Phil, who's 50-some years knowledge in this business, to Robert Pettyjohn. Nobody could tell me. We don't hmm. know to this day what happened. Wow. But what we, we think happened is the rug received some kind of chemical treatment uh, in in in. Iran where it was made before it was left with what we don't know what uh, and Phil Indian told me he said hey, you wouldn't believe the things that they do to these rugs over there you never know and for people that don't know Phil and Phil's a friend of ours he doesn't live far from here but Phil he he ran his own he had a rug washing he business he had Menendian brothers in Columbus Ohio for many 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 years and um, so yeah he very much knows what he's doing <clears throat> and uh, interesting story he how I met Phil was uh, several years ago, I, I would come in the office about two or three times a week and Renee would say, there's this guy trying to, wants to know if you're here. He wants to come by and see you. And I said, uh, who is it? And she said, some guy named Phil Menendi. And I said, I don't know him, <laughs> but what does he want? He didn't say what he wanted. So it turns out what he wanted to do is he wanted to come meet me and see what we were doing to figure out if we, if he could recommend us to his his clients because he now has an appraisal business right so he was wanted to fill a CR operation he, and sent essentially some, to see if we knew what yeah, what we were doing we were yeah. doing and he sent me some rugs to wash to see if I knew really knew what I was doing and of course the rest is history we became very close friends since that time so what are some things that guys that are, are thinking about getting into that and they're considering it guy there's guys probably that are going to be listening to this and they're Maybe they're dabbling in rugs. Maybe they're considering adding rug washing to their carpet business. I think most people, very few people just get into rug wash. Most of the time it's carpet cleaners. So what are some things that you would say, hey, you know, think, think about this or stop and think, you know, before you do it? What, I guess what, what's some advice you would give to people? Well, I mean, count the cost. I mean, is, is this really what you want to do? And uh, are you in a market? that is your demographic there to support an oriental rug washing business. Uh, and, I, and I'm always very careful to, and we clean every kind of rug there is, but I'm, I'm very careful to separate oriental rugs 
out from machine-made rugs. So, mm -hmm. you know, if you want to be an area rug cleaner, well, then there are thousands of inexpensive area rugs that you can clean any number of ways. But if you're going to, and if you're talking about an Oriental rug hand-knotted products, then you have to ask yourself, are you in a market with a demographic that will support that? Right. And, and if you're not, then it's probably not a good idea unless you know there's one nearby. Mm -hmm. uh, it's typically an Oriental rug plant will service a 75-square-mile area. So if you, if you have the business, secondly, I would say go find somebody. Go find somebody that's just far enough away from you that would not mind you coming and learning and, and pay them if you have to. But go, go pick somebody's brain. I mean, get wisdom, get knowledge, get information from people that have it, that are willing to share it, and, and don't be afraid to do that. Um, secondly, I'd say go to, like, a, uh, the Rug Room is a great group. And, you know, when they have their events... You know, join the rug room, go to their events, and they have, you know, they have them out at Cam's place in Omaha. They had one recently down at Michael Musalem's place in Jacksonville. Uh, go, even if you're not even washing. Mm. If you're thinking about washing, go to these events and go to these places, open yourself up, uh, tell them what you're trying to do, and these guys are, are great, great, helpful people. Uh, find a rug retailer somewhere that you're not trying to get their business. But you just go in and very humbly say, look, I don't know squat. Remember the first time I went into Zaki's, Mr. Zaki's in High Point. Zaki, a wonderful human being. I literally walked in and said, Zaki, I don't know nothing. I just, you know, what can you tell me? And he began to share with me about, you know, certain things about rugs. And, 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 and I even offered me his business, and I refused to take it because a friend of mine was currently doing it. Mm -hmm. And I didn't want it. And I told him, no, I don't want your business. I don't want this. I'm not taking business. I just want to learn something. So um, go to a rug dealer in another state. If you can't find one nearby you, go just call them up and say, hey. You'd be surprised. Most of this, they're very nice and kind and generous people, and they love to see people who are willing to learn. Now, what, is, what would you say is a good reason for a carpet cleaner to get into rugs? Well, the biggest reason right now is because when I started cleaning carpets, the average house that I was cleaning in had 5.6 rooms of carpet. The average house now has 1.6 rooms of carpet. Mm -hmm. So there's less and less carpet. Now, I know other guys are making that up by wood, by tile and grout. But the basic point is, is every home you're going into, you're seeing rugs. Yeah, that's the thing. You you don't go into many houses, but I mean, you see a lot of hard surfaces, but very few of them hard surfaces are not covered up by oh, some yeah. type of rug. Yeah, I mean, whether it's yeah. whether it's a, a cheap synthetic or even you know a, a gun tufted wool rug or whatever. I mean, or all the way to an Oriental, but they're covered up with something. I go very few places where they just don't have any. Mm -hmm. You know, when yeah. I, to, to show you how that works out in real numbers, when I got into the rug washing business in the state of North Carolina, there were, well, we'll talk about plants versus shops. Okay, I mean, a garage is a shop. Right? Yeah. But dedicated rug plants, okay, what I mean by that is a dedicated facility, several thousand square feet or more, that's got equipment in it, that, that's essentially their thing, is what they do. In the state of North Carolina, there were three of those. Wow. When we got into it. <laughs> Not a lot of competition. There was Burnson's uh -huh. and Durham, oldest, and they're out now, but if they were still in business, 
that's a, a, a that would be the oldest. They would probably be 80 years old now if they were still in it. Um, there was Burnsons, there was Scotties up in Eden. Uh, Charlotte, Metro, there was not one. The only people there cleaning rugs were dealers who were doing it in the back of their building. Mm-hmm. Okay, so Charlotte did not even have a fully operational rug plant uh, until 1997, when Mr. Mike Lynch opened. And Mike was already in the carpet cleaning business, but he put in Gastonia, actually, not in Charlotte, but in Gastonia, Mike actually put in a fully automated system, a more machine, rinser, the whole thing. So uh, now, you know, 2021, um, gee, there's a lot. Probably 30. Uh, you you have four to five in Greensboro. Yeah, there's a lot. You have, with actually automated equipment, dedicated automated equipment, you have four or five in Charlotte. You have at least three in Wilmington maybe four. Uh, in all places, you have one in Currituck. I mean, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, Albert Banks, the guys, I forget the name of them now, but they're, they're have a, they have all the central force equipment. So you look at the number of rug cleaner, and then, and guys, and that's not even talking about the, the shop guys. Yeah. They've got the little guys that are, that are doing them in their garage. Or, or, or even, even in between. Yeah, in between, kind of. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, if you add those guys into the mix now, there's probably a couple hundred places cleaning rugs. Hmm. Yeah. The reason for that is because there's less carpet and more rugs. Yeah. So that's 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 why if you're a carpet cleaner, uh, you should be looking at the rug side of the business. And I think especially if you're a carpet cleaner and you you're walking over, you, you really see. Say you're in that. And it depends on your area, but if you're in that demographic and you're constantly seeing them every day, you know, you're, in other words, if you're walking over expensive hand, you know, where, and it don't have to be expensive, but I mean, you're seeing these rugs and people are asking you, I think when you start getting asked, can you clean this rug and you don't feel comfortable and it's a constant thing, you know, where it's like you're every day you're going in homes and say they've got hand knotted rugs and they want you to clean them and, you know, you don't want to do them because you, you don't feel comfortable to do them or you feel like you don't have the knowledge to do them. Well, that's where you, you, you start thinking, like, literally every day I'm losing money. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And not saying you have to. I'm not saying, like, oh, well, you're stupid if you don't. Or at least find somebody you can take a Yeah, at least, that's another thing. Yeah. And that's, that's, a, that's a big thing for us is, like, we have a lot of cleaners that bring us rooms yeah. that don't want to do them, but at least, like, get something out of yeah. them. You know, don't somebody, somebody's going to clean it. Yeah, well. I guarantee you, so... Yeah. That's, I think that's a good point. So, mm-hmm. anything else? I was gonna have some uh, pop questions. You yeah. answer these kind of yeah. not quick, quick, but you know, um, what was the worst job you ever had? Not necessarily rug, but carpet. To you. What's one that stands out in your mind? Oh, like, oh man, this is a customer me. I want to mark oh, off for this life. This is easy for me. <laughs> Way back in the day when we were doing stripping and waxing, you know, mm-hmm. in, the, in the early '80s, we got called by a printing company. To bless his heart, Furman Green actually sent me this job. Uh, uh, who's Todd's dad, who's now deceased? But um, so I go look at it, and it looks like wax to me. I mean, it's just wax on a VCT floor, and they had printing equipment setting on the VCT, and he just wanted me to strip around it and wax it. And so uh, uh, Furman never told me, and I don't know why he didn't tell me, but they had been putting urethane on that floor. Uh, mm. 
uh, OVCT. And so I go in uh, to quote the job. The gentleman owned it, let me in. And within the first 30 minutes, I knew there was a problem because I had gone to stripper full strength and wasn't getting <laughs> anything up. So I, did, I don't think I had a cell phone at that time. So I asked Paul that, 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 that owned the business. I said, can I use your telephone? <laughs> so I called for him. And sure enough, he was at home. I got him. I said, what is going on down here? Oh man, I think so and so that worked for me put urethane on that for last time. Wow. So I turned to Paul and I said, Paul, I I don't have anything that'll strip urethane. He got so angry. Really? Oh, angry. Wow. Angry at me. And you know, you're supposed to be the floor expert, blah, blah, blah. And he was not gonna let me out of it. Wow. He said, if you don't do this job, I'll make sure you never work again in this town. <laughs> he was so ugly. Uh-huh. So we finally got hooked up with a chemical company up in North Ashboro that actually made chemicals. Mm-hmm. And the guy was kind enough to come down there and he said, I tell you what you need, I'll make you some. Don't breathe it. Well, yeah. <laughs> Second thing he told me. Uh-huh. So I had to wear a respirator. We got, we finally got it to the point, but that was just absolutely sticks out like horrible nightmare. Yeah, that yeah, was, I can imagine that was. <laughs> Probably the worst thing we ever got into. Wow. Yeah. Oh. Um, what year did you hire your first employee? 1996. Uh, was it a family member or? No, it wasn't. Okay, it was, outside. Yeah, a guy named Tim Luther. There. Remember Tim Will? Remember that, yeah. And uh, has Renee always been involved in the business or not, what year did she come along? Not always. Uh, about 1996 when, when we, we moved into the, the downtown location is when. Um, I think that's when she finally realized, you know, hey, we got a real business. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Prior Have she worked somewhere before? Uh, yeah, she worked odd jobs, you yeah. know, and did stuff like that, but nothing, okay. not a career path or anything. Yeah. But, um, I think it was probably about that time when she figured out, hey, I couldn't do it by myself. I really needed help, yeah. and, you know, maybe we were going to have a real business one day. Mm. So, that's a tough thing. I think a lot of guys, like, having trying to wear all the hats, you know, answer the phone and you can do it for a while and I think until your business well, some people do it forever and there's nothing wrong with that, but I think you get bit most people your business gets to a certain point and you kinda wanna have somebody help with that. Yeah. So I, I don't know if this is a good time to mention this too, but someone might think, Well, if there's that many people cleaning rugs, well why would I want to do it? Well you can also knit you can niche. You know, there's guys that only clean seal. Mm-hmm. You know, and they, they, they promote themselves as silk cleaners. Uh, there's guys that only clean Navajo rugs, and they promote themselves as... So there's niches within the rug world. Yeah. And those of us that are in the rug washing business, we know who it is among us that are niche cleaners. In other words, you know, Nate and Coots. Nate Coots is a niche cleaner. I mean, he's just a master at problem rugs. And everybody knows that. I mean, you know, so he's he's carved out a specialty in that uh, with Navajos and with, with cotton rugs that bleed and stuff that uh, is not normal, mm-hmm. right? I actually took a took a rug to to Andrew a couple weeks ago at Petty John's, and he wouldn't touch it. <laughs> he said, I'm not touching it. What it was, it was a, a cotton rug, an old cotton rug that the, the dyes were, were actually... Um, he had a name for it, but I'm going to say it like they were printed on. Right. Because cotton doesn't have a dye site. Hmm. So, 
And he told me, he says, if you wash that rug and you get those cotton dyes moving, those dyes moving on that cotton, you're stuck. So uh, those of you that think you don't have to know some stuff to get into rug business, rug washing business, that's a, there's a warning oh, yeah. right there for you. Yeah. <laughs> How important is education, not just for rug cleaning, but for carpet cleaning? That's critical. It is. I mean, I know guys made it without it. Uh-huh. You know, there's guys that have made it, and especially those that are on the apartment side and, and the commercial side. But, you know, the trick, the truth of it is they, these guys say they haven't, but, you know, if you if you had their iPads, you'd find that where they've been at night on these sites learning stuff. Yeah. So education's critical, and I always said this, if you think education is expensive, try ignorance. Yeah. You know, education is critical in any, uh, any of these service fields we're talking about. Um, so, but, you know, and setting yourself apart through that education because now we're not, you know, we don't just clean rugs. I mean, we reweave, we repair, we recolor, we redye, we appraise. We're one-stop shop. That's good. So, and, and we feel like that's, that's a niche for us. Oh, yeah. Because, you know, we know several very old and large rug plants in the state that don't do any of that. They do no repair, they do no redying, they do no reweaving, they don't do any appraisals, they don't even offer their ser- those services to their client base. Hmm. For the new cleaner, what would you suggest they're getting into getting into carpet cleaning? New equipment or a used startup? This is a guy who doesn't have any work at all, he's just like, all right, I want to be a carpet cleaner. Well, you know, there are guys that are like that that have the money to buy new stuff. Yeah, I think that's yeah. And and so and there the, there's the, the the lease deals now that are really irresistible for especially for new guys uh-huh. because uh, they'll lease to a new guy. Uh, financing's a little bit different, but they'll lease to a startup. Mm-hmm. And so uh, that's that's hard to resist, but um, I would caution. Anybody that doesn't already have a business started. Now, if you're talking about, I'm new in the business and I've been in it two years and I'm doing, you know, $70,000 a year, should I buy a new truck now? Uh, it's, all upon, it's all based on what your costs are <clears throat> to answer that question. Okay. Uh, if you're going to get into the carpet cleaning business and you have no business to speak of, then surely you're, you want to keep your cost point as low as you possibly can. Right. <clears throat> I think also what I was going to say too is, you know, there's different different people get into the business a different way. So like, you know, I know a guy that you know he he came out of one business into another business and he brought some of that money with him and you know he had. So if you're going into the business and you have some money set aside to invest in it, and you know you're 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 prepared that if you're slow, you know you've got some working capital there to be yeah. able to fund yourself for a while and keep yourself up. But so many guys, especially with carpet cleaners that I see, it's like they start out with nothing. So when you're starting from scratch and it's literally, you know, you see these guys and if they don't go out and clean today, they don't have money yeah. to pay their bills. Then in that case, I think, I mean, this is my opinion, like you need to keep it as low as possible, right? as cheap as possible. Keep your, you know, monthly payments down, keep everything down. But but you do see some people, and it's rare, but they, they literally, you know, they, 
they might save a large sum of money. Well, those people are a little more prepared to go mm-hmm. out. And, well, been to Patrick's point, and this is not who you think I'm talking about, but because this goes back a few years, but I met a guy that owned five pizza restaurants. And and he just started a pizza business. He just tired of it. Worked it all of his life, you know, and, and, and uh, he sold all five of his pizza places, and he had money to buy new equipment. And he was buying new everything, new van, new, new he bought, actually he started with trailers. So he bought a new pickup truck, a new trailer, a new unit, everything new, 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 but he had money to invest. And he had money that set back that, you know, slow times came and, yeah. uh, but, but he was an aggressive salesman, so it didn't take long. Mm-hmm. He, it didn't take long to build his business. But well, if you come out of a business, you have a mind for business too, yeah. Right. Yeah. a lot of times. All right, this is the last question I have. I was trying to think of uh, how to word it. Um, you got anything when I think about how to word it? Okay. I'm just listening. <laughs> Looking for a, a chance to buy how to word this question. Because <laughs> yeah. um, actually, I took it out. Well, the intermission, everybody. Yeah, take a five minute break real quick. <laughs> um, oh, I can't think of how to word it, Eddie. Yeah, leave us with some closing thoughts here. Don't come to me in a second. Oh, you're trying to think how to word it? <laughs> well, I had deleted it, and then I was like, well, I don't want to ask that question. And then I was thinking about it just now, and I was like, well, how did I have it worded before? So that's probably the better way to put it. But Well, I, I would say this, too, that in, over the years I've met many people that have gotten into the rug cleaning business because they, they heard it was lucrative. The truth is that my friends in this industry that I know, that I respect, um, the rug washers, let's say, that I know and respect, they're passionate about rugs. Mm-hmm. Then the money comes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But if you're getting into the rug cleaning business because you're just thinking about the money, it, it's, it's money, right? You're looking at the dollar and not the entirety of the process you're going to have to go through and grow through to be a good rug washer, then it's not for you. Because, yeah, you get... In many cases, I know guys that charge five, six, seven dollars a square foot. I know guys that charge a dollar forty. And if you're a carpet cleaner, you're charging let's just pick thirty cents, and you think, my goodness, thirty versus three dollars. That's a no-brainer. Yeah. But if you're just looking at that side of it, you'll miss everything that you need to grow into. You need to know. You'll miss the relationship side of the business, the people that you need to make friendships with. You'll miss all of that if it's just. Uh, money if you're just looking at the but also what most people don't realize is uh, Patrick and I talk about this all the time you vacuum pre-spray scrub and clean a room of carpet let's just say you're cleaning 200 square feet of carpet and it takes you how long I mean do it so in 20 minutes 20 minutes yeah 30 minutes how long does it take to professionally and properly wash a 200 square foot Oriole rug yeah. I really think that through and then 20 minutes versus an hour. Now, for you guys that have the automatic plants where it's auto duster into auto washer into, well, that's a different thing. But if that rug is really, really heavily soiled, you're still going to have to wash it before you wash it. You got to wash it before it goes to the automatic system. Right. right. So you're actually washing it twice. Hmm. My point is, there is good money in the rug cleaning business, but you don't make 10 times in the rug cleaning business what you make in the carpet cleaning It's not business. like you think. And it's not like you, you think. You handle that rug multiple times. I mean, it's like when our rugs come in here, you know, you, 
a lot of times, I mean, if they've had to be picked up, they're picked up, and, and they're, they're, you're qualified with the customer and look at it and inspect it, and then they get back here and they're inspected again, then they're dusted, and then they're washed, and then they're put in the spinner, and then they come out of the spinner, and then they go to the drying room, and then the fringe work is done, and then they're taken down, and then they're vacuumed again, and then they're wrapped. Oh, and then you, you know, and it's like that's right. that's a process. You keep handling yeah. that rug over and over and over again. So but see, yeah. that's why you charge. Yeah, what you charge? What you charge. That's why right. you charge two to four dollars a square foot. And it's funny, me and him always talk and laugh about it. And it's like these people that that. I think I said this to him last week. It's so funny because, you know, we'll quote them, you know, price to, you want how much, you know, and they, we don't get that a lot, but you get that. But those same, those same people that will gig you on paying, you know, whatever a foot to wash an Oriental rug, those same people are ignorant enough to pay a guy to steam it on the, or clean it, quote unquote, clean it on site. Yeah. They'll pay that guy fifty cent or a dollar. He'll be done in ten minutes. Yeah. Well, the fact that you the know, fact of matter and it won't be clean. It's not done anything. There's a there's a certain company, a national company that charges a dollar twenty five to do them on site. And on average, it takes them fifteen minutes to clean a ten by twelve rug. Yeah. So, <laughs> they're that, they're making money hand mm -hmm. over fist. Right? Yeah. All right, but but uh, the people aren't getting what they pay, especially on these hand knotted rugs. No, you're, you're not getting any you kind of cleaning. Right. Yeah. So uh, the other thing I would tell you that speaks to the point about why being in it, right? Um, your your customers will sense your lack of passion and your lack of commitment. Mm -hmm. They'll sense it. And oh, your, yeah. your clients, they're going they're going to turn over the olfen rug to you, right? They're going to turn over the gun tufted rug to you, but when you don't know the basics and your clients are, and you're standing in a room where there's a 70-year-old, nice caucusin piece, probably worth eight to $10,000, and you don't know that, and you don't know what it is, and they ask you how you're gonna clean it, and you say, we're gonna wash it, well, what, what does that mean? What, you know, what kind of chemistry? You gotta know these things, because if you don't, your customers are gonna know you don't know it. Yeah. So. All right, I think I got the uh, question in my mind. Okay. Come back to it. It's kind of changing topics a little bit, but you see this a lot. We see this a lot in the groups. Carpet cleaners who are struggling right now, what advice would you give them? They're struggling to get work. Then maybe they're struggling because their finances are you know, all out of whack, but what, what kind of advice would you give them? I'll give you the same advice that, that was given to me a few years ago and, and um, was talking with a local president of the Chamber of Commerce, who's now retired. But he said to me a survey of, and this is in the age of Google and the internet and all the social media marketing. He recently surveyed the Chamber. Their number one sales, uh, most productive sales method is what? He looked at me and he said, is what? And I thought, well, he's, surely it's got to be something technical. It's got to be something complicated. It'd be something to do with SEO or something. He's had his hands folded like this. He took his hands and done like this, and he said, here's number one. He said, hi, my name is, and this is what I do. He looked at me and he said, to this day, in the day of Google, and all the other things, nothing outproduces that method. Yeah. So I would tell anybody that's in that, uh, I think you heard me say earlier that Renan and I took the position that when we started our rug washing business that 
if it walked, talked, or breathed, we told it we washed rugs. So my advice is you're going to have to relieve yourself of the fear and the anxiety and get out and knock on doors. And somebody says, well, what do you mean knock on doors? Go to your local downtown. If you're in a metropolitan area, go to a smaller suburb that has maybe 200,000 people and go to what is considered the downtown and just tell people, talk to people, introduce yourself. Uh, no matter how much SEO or Google you've got, it's never going to take the place of sales and marketing. Some of the most successful carpet cleaning companies that I know have their own marketing division. I'm talking physical mm -hmm. marketing division. They all have the SEO. They all have uh, the Internet. But they all have someone who calls on people either via network marketing, right? Network marketing groups. By the way, Patrick can tell you when we opened up our other market in Pinehurst, most successful thing by far. Yep. But we still involved about that. that handshake. Going and meeting and greeting people and telling them who you are and what you do. Join a network marketing group. Go to your local downtown. Go to, and then I'm going to share a little secret for free. <laughs> Why would a rug cleaner or a carpet cleaner want to call on an insurance company? I'm not in a restoration business. Mm -hmm. Right? Right. But... They're always looking for somebody to clean carpet and rugs. And, I, and restoration companies are too. So two things right there that probably some marketing guru would charge you $5,000 for is call on insurance companies and call on restoration companies. Those are two really super quick starts yeah. for somebody who's struggling in their business and needing more business because you'll get business fairly quickly. If you go out next week and call on 10 insurance companies and three restoration companies, you will get work from them. If advice. you're needing work that bad. Yeah. yeah. Is he, he going to be high paying, high profit? But, but it will be business. Yeah. It's and crucial. There are not... Yeah, I, there, I promise you there's not... You won't find very many carpet cleaners that know that. That think that that's a potential market. So those are two really good sources right there. So the network marketing, calling on people, knocking on doors, it still works. Yeah, old school. Methods. Old school. Yeah. 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 Some of the best. That's exactly right. Get overlooked, but still works. Yeah. Y'all want to guess how long we've been recording? I'm going to say an hour. An hour and 10 minutes. Wow. wow. This is going to be our longest episode. It's going by pretty quick, I thought. I kind think so, crazy. too. I looked one minute, it was 20 minutes. The next minute, it was 50. Hey, so. Kind of crazy. Yeah. yeah. Time flies. That's a good thing, though. Yeah. It means you have plenty to talk about. Well, Eddie, we appreciate you taking time to yeah, sit down. Thank you so much. You're yeah. welcome. And I'm sure our listeners will enjoy it, yeah. especially the ones who listen when it comes out. Well, I find that we're getting a lot of people listening to old episodes, too. So. I've noticed that, too. People are going yeah. back. So, And I'm, I'm excited, too, about adding video. I think yeah. that's going to be a big yeah. you know. There it is. Look at the yeah. camera. Oh, yeah. 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 <laughs> and, uh, too, we got listeners in uh, what was the country's? Uh, Puerto Rico. Puerto Rico. Which is a, India. You know, yeah, India, and uh, there was another country, too. I just saw pop up Canada, and I want to say there was one more, but maybe, that may be it. I but think, anyway. was it the UK? I can't remember. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. I can't yeah. remember. I think it was four. Yeah, so we got listeners all over the world. I'm yeah. Sure. I'm sure they'll appreciate the uh, wisdom and advice you gave, Eddie, because like I said, Eddie's been in the business for a long time, and he's been very successful at it, and he's uh, 
got a good reputation. How many years in a row have you won best cleaner in Randolph County? As long as they've had it. Wow. Yeah, <laughs> I was, took a picture of your. Because whenever it started, we don't because uh, we got a, like a plaque or missing out there or something. But whatever year it started through now, yeah, I mean, it's however yeah. many years that is, yeah. it's a lot. Yeah, so a good reputation. This isn't just some guy off the street we brought in. We got somebody who knows what they're talking about. <laughs> yeah, we've been there, done it. Yeah. yeah. All yeah. right. Well, as always, Seth. They never stop learn. learning. Never stop learning. I like that. <laughs> All right, well, guys, we'll catch you on the next one. Don't forget, if you want to reach us, email us at cleaningprofessionalspodcast at gmail.com. And if you look at the bottom of this description, uh, I'm sorry, at the bottom of this uh, episode in the description, you'll find a link to leave us an audio message. Feel free to do that, and we'll catch you on the next one. Thank you for listening to the Cleaning Professionals Podcast. To find out more about Patrick and Seth, please check us out on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. Don't forget to subscribe and join us next week for more great discussion about the cleaning industry. And as always, never stop learning.